The Cell Phone Junkie Podcast, episode 515 for April 24th, 2016. First quarter earnings start rolling in, apps on your wrist will soon all be native, and clarifying world travel with Google services. My name is Mickey Papillon. And I'm Joey Kappas. Brought to you each week by the Cell Phone Junkie podcast application, available now for Android, iOS, and Windows Phone 8 for $1.99. Leading the news this week, Intel on Tuesday announcing a shakeup for its business over the next 18 months with cutting of 12,000 jobs. That's 11% of its workforce. The PC market, which has long been Intel's main business, has seen shipments decline over the subsequent quarters, according to Gartner. Intel said uh, it will do this by closing sites, pushing voluntary and involuntary departures across the workforce, and of course, early retirements. Intel plans to notify as many affected customers as possible within the next two months, and they believe these actions will result in a $750 million savings and $1.4 billion in savings over the next two years. Well, and obviously, you know, a lot of our computing has been moving over to ARM-based devices, you know, hence, you know, uh, iPhones, iPads, uh, uh, all these portable tablets, which are kind of, you know, eating into the PC business. And that's a, you know, it's a big deal for Intel. And I know that's uh, why they were really trying to push some of the mobile platforms uh, from a couple of years ago, but they're just not taking hold. It's, uh, you know, the, the Intel, you know, the x86 platform just isn't really that good for uh, mobile computer and battery life, even though they've made huge strides with their with their recent mobile chipsets. Yeah, and it's interesting because then you say, okay, well, people are using more mobile devices. And, you know, of course, the largest one, the largest single mobile device is the iPhone. Um, the Qualcomm-based chipset that's in the device right now is not necessarily what's going to be used for henceforth. There was just an article this week that Qualcomm CEO had uh, kind of hinted around the fact that Apple will potentially be switching to an Intel-based chipset for the iPhone 7. So that doesn't necessarily mean it's going to you know save the Intel business, but it certainly could be good news for them. Well, in uh, Apple right now, I've been using you know Samsung and they've been using uh, what is I think it's TM, TSMC uh, processors in their phones as well, you know, which are uh, subcontracted out from now Apple designed, uh, completely Apple designed chip uh, processors, unlike before where they were Samsung, you know, uh, A8s and A7s and whatever those uh, processors were that they were using. And I wonder, um, you know, if Intel, even though the, the, the rumors that they're going to Intel, you start to wonder, well, are they going to start doing that on their Mac, start designing their own processors? I, I highly, highly doubt it, but it's always something that is possible to happen, which would really be tough for Apple, uh, for Intel, because Apple's the only PC company that really has had any sort of growth um, at all, which it, it, it's not very significant, but there is growth in, in uh, the PC market within Apple itself. Yeah, and you have to also discuss in this conversation that we're, there's a lot of different chipsets in these devices. So you've got, you know, the chips that are the silicone that's actually processing and, and, and running the device, really. Uh, but then you also have these LTE chipsets uh, in the specific devices, the radios that are in there that are running. And that's, I guess, what I'm talking about here is Qualcomm's LTE chips that are being currently used are switching over to Intel. So again, we're, we're talking about a, a couple of different things in this conversation. But either way, um, th- there is just, there's a lot 
lot of you know constant change that happens uh, with this stuff here and you've got all these companies that are on the periphery it's not just you buy a device and every single piece of it inside is made by that company like a Samsung or an Apple and quite the contrary actually there's you know hundreds of vendors that go into putting together one of these devices right and and of course Intel is you know been one of the you know the, the leading you know processor companies for you know many 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 years now de- you know decades and if they're going down it could kind of be you know it could be bad for the market as far as research and development and, and kind of moving forward uh, with you know I'd say kind of home-based PCs or, or you know uh, slight business you know not supercomputer things but it's uh, it's definitely something we don't want to really lose in the market is, is Intel and have them kind of fall apart because of the declining PC business it is an innovation problem uh, certainly as you think about you know the latest Macs that are coming out I can't remember what they're at if they're at Sky Lake or something like that or broad something I there's all these I don't remember yeah, yeah they keep yeah they I've not been following the latest chipsets yeah I I mean, there were new Macs that came out this week, uh, MacBooks, the thin ones, uh, and they had the latest, you know, silicon built in. And of course, that's great. But, um, you know, further, there's like these ultimately the, the, these kind of these changes that you want to see continuing to happen where the innovation, even if it doesn't come to every single device, it certainly has a ripple effect on the rest of the industry. And without that, um, you can potentially uh, anticipate some stagnation with this. And, you know, it, it, it's a couple of different things, right? It's the the fact that, you know, we are still using both Joey and I are on iPad Air 2s right now. These are devices that are uh, 18 plus months old and they still feel really good. Uh, there's not a, a complete necessary upgrade cycle at this point where uh, you had that a couple of years ago. Same thing with the phones, same thing with computers. Uh, and so as a result of that, uh, you know, we're, we're talking about things like Apple's, um, you know, lowest shipments uh, in the fiscal year 2016 of any year since they started launching the iPhone. And it's one of those, not lowest, but, you know, uh, lack of uh, increase in shipments. And so you you start to talk about those types of conversations and those types of issues that are coming up. And you, you start to understand why the companies are not, pu- you know, having as many employees uh, anymore because they're not having to innovate as quickly and it's it's almost like a, a cyclical and you know a thing that will get you into a spiral it sure does and it, you know if you, you can take this a few steps back you take okay uh, computers in the office you know you've got uh, workstations um, you know I've got computers I've got employees that are deployed and and, and as time goes on, the, the 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 cycle that I buy new computers has been extending uh, unbelievably as, over the past 20 years. Used to be, you know, you have to get a new computer every two to three years. Now it's five to seven, eight, nine. The, 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 there's no reason to upgrade because the, the newer ones are slightly faster. Not not even, you know, amazingly fast. No, just slightly. It is it, it the, the amount of work to to upgrade the computer is worse than what you're you know, see it's it, and that's of course what's happening with our, you know, iPads and the, the, the phones. It's it's stretching out because just the the innovation cycle is uh, not nearly as good as it used to be. It uh, um and then of course with uh, companies not hiring as many people and companies, you know, trying to be more optimized that also cuts into it. So it's, yes, it's a, it's a big, it's a kind of a a big whole industry thing. It's interesting when you start talking about how long it takes to cycle through a computer at this point. And most, for the most part, we're talking about laptops. That's what I think most people uh, are getting, you know, these days when they've got a dedicated machine. And uh, it is interesting because it used to be, um, and I'm not saying exclusively, but it used to be, I, I remember never having to get batteries replaced uh, or switched out in computers because I was just getting new computers versus now it's the computers lasting long enough where, you know, you hit that third year and it's like, 
yeah, I kind of need a new battery for this guy at this point because I've either killed it by using it on the dock all the time or the, you know, the converse, which is, you know, using it off the dock too much. But um, it, it is it is interesting because at this point now it, it's maybe a, a battery replacement versus a computer replacement. First. And that's funny you bring that up because I've been doing that a lot lately. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, you know, it's interesting. I, I, I look at the computers and we're both using computers now that are, I guess, three three plus years old uh i slightly upgraded mine but it's kind of this i I, I got a a 2015 version here just due to an upgrade uh, a long story but yes the computer itself is you know the design is yeah three plus years old yeah i guess mine is technically the fall or uh, yeah i think fall 2013 model so um coming up on three years with it and i i still feel like it's a brand new computer um it's it's just amazing you know just seeing you know the what's in it um you know the the standards that are in there and it's like okay eight gigs of ram that's now coming standard uh on these new ultra thin macbooks that's great i've had eight gigs of ram since like 2010 um but i haven't had any more and i know you know joey you've got uh, a desktop uh, that you use in the 5k imac that has got with 32 gigs right right for virtual machines and exactly. that's if you're, yeah if you're running a bunch of virtual machines you definitely need more memory in but i don't do other hardcore you know video editing and, and photo editing which which is where you'd want the extra ram but my my point here is that you know for over we'll just call it a period of six years since i was using the imac and then transitioned back over to a laptop for my personal computing needs i've effectively stayed at the same amount of ram and apple has just now caught up to that same amount of ram whereas on the mobile side you are you're kind of seeing i think the standard on you know two to three gigs of 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 ram on these devices and and that's going to start this the same type of trend where if you max that out the device is going to feel very functional and very good it's going to operate smoothly and efficiently for many years to come and it's going to ultimately you know push back that upgrade cycle for you as a result so kind of an interesting thing if you watch what's happened in computing you're going to absolutely see it on the mobile side and further you know as we continue to move forward down the path of being able to virtualize a lot more types of of functions that we try and do a lot of more cloud-based type of computing there's there's a lot more that gets done on the mobile device um I love some of the stuff I get to test out uh, for my job, and uh, I love being able to, to see you know, how I can use things like iPads to effectively take over almost an entire, uh, take over as an entire workstation uh, and, and not have to use a computer if I don't want to. Well, and this, you know, uh, to continue this conversation, like what you're referring to with mobile devices, uh, the, 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 the whole aspect of security and data processing we're we're in a in a cycle now where everything's moving moving away from doing the processing on your local machine and moving to a remote location not only for uh, security but for efficiency and, and ease of management um, security and security and more security uh, where you don't have uh, laptops stolen with you know thousands of medical records stored on it uh, from somebody's car uh, you know you want to have this stuff on a secured server where you you know uh, you know remote desktop in or into the the device that you know into a server into a machine that you're doing so that uh, um, trend right now reduces the need for processing power on your local device whether it be a laptop or a mobile device as well and i i love the idea of it it also uh, makes for very easy um, interactions Um, it is not nearly the same as an 
you know, interacting with something that's local. Um, but that's okay in many respects. Um, when you're dealing with the majority of the things that you're trying to do, you know, quick, you know, email stuff, quick web browsing stuff, uh, that, you know, when you need to be on the network, you get on the network. Otherwise you just, you just deal with the stuff on the, on the local mobile device, which is actually more efficient. And a lot of times is quicker, uh, for dealing with the stuff that you need to. Yeah, and of course, as the you know LTE speeds increase and your local you know uh, home broadband and Wi-Fi connections increase, that makes that much more possible. Absolutely, it does. So very interesting stuff. And as we you know uh, you know talking through this, just a single story about one company's uh, you know reductions in workforce is not necessarily an industry trend, but it certainly brings up a lot of other questions and, and important stuff to talk about. Well, the Justice Department said it has received help unlocking an iPhone involved in a drug case in New York City, and as a result has withdrawn the lawsuit against Apple. The government originally sought to compel Apple to unlock the device, though in March, a magistrate judge sided with Apple and ruled the government can't force companies to hack their own products. The government initially appealed the decision, but has since withdrawn due to the individual uh, that owned the device or somebody else that knew the password providing the password to the iPhone at issue in this case. Uh, Sticking with this similar theme, the United States FBI Director James Comey has this week given hints about how much the agency ultimately paid to access the iPhone of San Bernardino shooter Saeed Farouk, an amount somewhere over $1.3 million. So according to Reuters, Comey said that the FBI paid an amount exceeding what he will make over the next seven years and four months as the director of the FBI. Uh, It sounds uh, very specific, but here's the context of it. So he was speaking at the Aspen Security Forum in London. Comey is asked uh, as the moderator how much the FBI paid and eventually uh, said that they paid a lot more than I will make in the remainder of this job, which is seven years and four months. So taking his annual salary of 183000 extrapolated out $1.34 million is the amount. He says, though, in my view, it was worth it. So while we'll never likely know what the final figure was, iPhone hacking, definitely an expensive proposition. Yeah, that's ridiculous. But um, I, I guess uh, when you've got taxpayers' money, that, that that's unlimited. You can just do whatever you want. Yeah, unlimited, but actually zero, because <laughs> it's all just debt at this point anyway. Uh, in Verizon news, Verizon announcing its Q1 2016 earnings with $32.2 billion in operating revenues, $22 billion of which came from the wireless end. They're also uh, announcing that they added 640,000 postpaid additions, which is a low-volume quarter for them, but again, it was Q1. Customer retention remains solid. Churn was at 0.96%, a big improvement year over year. Other notes, the percentage of phone activations on installment plans grew almost 70% in the first quarter compared to the 67% in the fourth quarter of 2015. The company also expects the percentage to grow to over 70% in the second quarter. About 48% of postpaid phone customers are on subsidized pricing plans at this point, and service revenue declines are expected to flatten when the base exceeds 50%. Verizon also expects the decline in service revenues to slow throughout the year as ultimately, and will ultimately turn positive by the end of next year. The composition of those 640,000 additions was 500, excuse me, 452 4G smartphones and uh, declines though on 3G and basic phones uh, were a negative 8,000. Tablet totals uh, were a net add of 507,000 in the quarter. 
Verizon's quarter also ended with 73.8 million smartphones on its network, 85% of its total base. 4G devices totaled more than 81%. Uh, it's amazing to think that there are still almost 20% of people that are using 3G-only devices. Growth in the 4G adoption uh, was up 92% of Verizon's total data traffic is now on its LTE network, and the overall traffic has increased 50% over LTE year over year. Next up, Alphabet, parent company to Google, released its Q1 earnings. Strong year-over-year growth, $20.25 billion in revenues, leading to $4.2 billion in net income for the quarter. Of that $20.25 billion, that's up 17% year-over-year. The operating income hit uh, $5.34 billion, and the margin was 26%. Like I mentioned, net income, $4.2 billion. Uh, operating expenses, $7.2 billion and 36% of revenues for the OPEX percentage. Now, $75 billion in cash on hand, so pretty solid for Alphabet. That's an increase of $10 billion uh, from year-over-year year last year. Also, $2.4 billion in CapEx spent by the company, and the company's tax rate was effectively a respectable 18%. Uh, a big increase in employees, 10000 from the same time last year to 641 uh, or 64,000 uh, employees now working for Alphabet. So a huge number of people getting their checks from Google's parent. On to device news this week. DeWalt announcing the MD501. This is a rugged Android smartphone for those that like to work outdoors. DeWalt partnering with Global Mobile Communications to make the device who's licensing the DeWalt name. It meets mil-spec 810G and IP68 for protection against drops, dirt, water, dust, extreme humidity, and also high temperatures. The 5-inch HD screen has uh, got bright extra, got, is extra bright for outdoor visibility and can be used with gloves. Powered by a MediaTek processor, 2 gigs of RAM, 16 gigs of storage. It does operate with micro SD cards up to 64 gigs, and it has a 13 megapixel camera on the back and 5 on the front with a 3950 milliamp hour battery with Qi wireless charging. Uh, does not support US LTE bands, but is quad band HSPA if you want to use it on AT&T or T-Mobile. It runs the older Android 5.1 Lollipop. DeWalt has not said when the device will go on sale, expected to be about $550. It's kind of interesting these uh, you know ruggedized uh, brand named phones. There's, there must be a you know fairly large construction market for you know rugged smartphones because now this you know we've had the the cat one for a couple of years now. Now we're getting to uh, some more names into it. It's interesting too that you know of course these companies that make tools and equipment and stuff like that are not actually making the phone equipment. They're getting licensing deals with other groups that are out there. And uh, so, uh, you know, DeWalt is, uh, you know, one of the premier names and tools. And, uh, you know, if you ask anyone, you know, who buys a drill, you know, they almost the ultimate recommendation is almost always DeWalt. So um, certainly it's got a name in the in the market and uh, could potentially draw some people as a result of it. But to your point, yeah, I mean, I guess I guess it is a big market. I would never think to uh, buy one. Although I, I do think about all the times when I drop my phone and um, you know, it'll go. I'll go like a while between dropping my phone. I'll think I could use this without a case, and then inevitably, it's like a day later, I end up dropping it. I did it yesterday, and it landed like right on the face. Unfortunately, with the the Apple leather case thing, it you know, of course, it's got just enough of a lip so that it didn't uh, didn't cause any issues. But I thought, you know, this would have been a huge issue uh, if I wouldn't have had the case on it. So I say to myself, yes, continue with the case in software news. The use of iOS nine continues to increase Apple's latest adoption numbers showing the current version of its mobile OS now running at 84% of all active iPhones and iPads. That's up from 74% in January. 
In other iOS software news, Apple notified developers this week that by June 1st, all apps submitted by the uh, to the App Store for the Apple Watch must be able to run natively on the Watch OS 2 SDK or later. Uh, native apps run on the Apple Watch itself rather than on the iPhone and generally perform better than those loading data from the phone. And I, I don't know about you, Joy. Have you noticed any real difference as of late with the applications and how they've been running? I, I don't feel like Watch OS 2.0 has made a significant improvement for me. No, it's made nothing. It, yeah, some of them are some are very very slow and it, 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 they're inconsistent. You know, I generally just don't use them much. Uh, you know, there, there's one particular app I use, and I, I'm sure that's a phone based one because sometimes it pops right up and other times it's like, okay, this isn't going to work. And then the screen shuts off long before the app ever responds. And it's, uh, uh, yeah, it's, it, it definitely still needs work for, for the interface and for these, uh, the, the watch apps. And I'm sure this will help, but it won't necessarily change any apps that you already have. Yeah, that's a good point. Although, you know, they could just, I guess, not update them and they would just be there. But um, I, as a rule, don't install any third-party apps on the watch. And then as a, you know, as an exception, I'll figure out what I need and then install it from there. Um, just did one this week, uh, MLB's at bat, um, and only because it has a glance uh, thing related to it where you can swipe up from the bottom and actually see then something that you add. And so I added uh, the scores of one particular team, and so I can now swipe up and see the score at a quick glance, which is kind of the point of it. Um, uh, I, I find that to be kind of handy, but the app itself, it's got like all sorts of information on stories and stuff. And I'm like, I, I'm not going to read this on here. I want like bits and bytes of information. That's, that's where I find this helpful. So, uh, there you go. So anyway, watch OS 2.0 and Apple requiring, uh, within just the next couple of weeks here, all apps run natively on your wrist. Google on Monday added podcasts to its online and Android versions of its Google Music service. Similar to Google Music playlists that are suggested for certain activities, the service will recommend podcasts based on interest and activities. The tool allows people to automatically download several episodes for each podcast they subscribe to or receive alerts when new episodes are available. Along with the new service for con- uh, consumers, Google also has made a, t- a portal for podcast creators so they can share their podcasts through Google Music. Podcasts are coming to Google Music in all U.S., and Canada to all U.S. and Canada customers and other regions to follow. What took them so long? And of course, the real question is the cell phone junkie available on Google Music yet? I have not added it, although I'm sure someone probably will at some point uh, if they're going to be using Google Music. So uh, either way, it uh, it gets released through uh, our host and uh, it certainly gets picked up everywhere else. So um, it is a but it's, it's amazing, isn't it? I mean, you think about podcasts that have been around for, I don't know, 12, 15 years or something like that. I mean, we've been doing it for 10 and we certainly weren't the first. And so um, it's it seems like something that should have been around for uh, for a lot longer. Uh, Facebook on Wednesday uh, said group calling is now available within its messenger application. Users can add any group by tapping uh, the phone icon in the conversation thread to call them. Users will be able to manage individual participants before the call connects. Facebook says the feature will be included in the latest version of Messenger for both iOS and Android. Also from Google this week, updating to its or updates to its inbox service, which will now track events, newsletters, and web links with less hassle. Google says inbox will now cluster emails regarding a single event together and always display the most up-to-date information in an easy-to-glance format. Inbox has improved how it handles newsletters by prioritizing those who often read it by read by the user, uh, read by the user, excuse me. Uh, it will minimize newsletters once they've read to save space and also save to inbox. Uh, will be added uh, to help people save web links for later. 
The most recent version of Inbox for Android and iOS includes a link-saving tool in the sharing menu and should negate the need for people to send themselves emails with web links. Inbox will group saved links together and make them easier to find. So just one interesting thing about this. Obviously, I'm a Gmail user. I have been for a while. Uh, I I think I tested or tried Inbox at one point for like five minutes and, and really never, I didn't see the, the benefit of it um, just based on the way that I use um, Google. Um, but for those of you that are out there who love Inbox, I'd love to hear from you. Let let us know um, how you're using this because I think this is something that could be of, of real benefit to hear uh, for someone who's thinking about doing this. The majority of people are using Gmail these days. And so if you've decided that this is the best way to go to use Gmail, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, so please let us know. We'd love to hear your story on that. In other software news, YouTube on Monday made it possible to stream 360 video uh, online and on Android devices. YouTube has supported 360 degree video for about a year, but the recent change will let content producers push immersive video to people in real time. Google said it's partnered with select brands to get live 360 video off the ground and will stream a limited set of performances from the Coachella Music Festival in 360 as well. YouTube is also adding support for spatial audio so people watching the 360 degree video can listen to the audio tune that changes as users move around in a virtual 360 degree space. Uh, the features arrive from companies uh, such as Samsung, LG, and GoPro are offering these cameras as their smartphone accessories. And finally, in software news, Sprint rolling out Android 6 Marshmallow to the Samsung Galaxy S5 Sport and the Note Edge starting this week. It's being pushed out in phases, and they expect it to be complete by March 11th for the S5 Sport and May 2nd for the Note Edge. In addition to the OS, they expect the Galaxy Note Edge to be receiving the latest security updates from Samsung and Google this week as well. One question, or actually it's more of a comment this week uh, from Tim, and he says, guys, still a little bit confused about the data service not working for Google here in certain countries. Um, if they say the data service doesn't work, um, doesn't that necessarily mean that the country is blocking it? Here's what it says um, on Google's site regarding Hangouts and Gmail. It says, don't see the phone calling feature. If you're outside the US and you don't see the option to make calls, the feature probably hasn't been made available in your country. So under the link uh, that's uh, available when you search for this, it says countries where calling in Hangouts and Gmail is not available. And that includes Argentina, China, Cuba, Egypt, Ghana, India, Iran, Jordan, Kenya, Mexico, that seems a little odd, Morocco, Myanmar, Nigeria, North Korea, Peru, uh, the Russian Federation, Saudi Arabia, Senegal, South Korea, Sudan, Syria, Thailand, the UAE, and Vietnam, uh, he then goes on to say, at this point, I'm, I'm almost positive I'll port my number to Google Voice anyways and report back on my findings. Thanks again, Tim. Well, Tim, here's kind of what I'm thinking with this. It does appear that Hangouts is not going to work. Uh, and why that is, I'm not really sure. But the other part of it, it sounds like Gmail is not going to work then either, which I find to be very interesting. I guess certain countries just decide that they're going to block and not allow these services to work. Right. And, you know, of course, you know, laws, uh, you know, around countries and, and online services and phone calling, and it's, it's all extremely different than let's just say the US, for example. And of course, they vary between each other and, and what they can do within and without and uh, in and out. And it, it, it's, it's a very complicated patchwork. And I, I can't, I can't imagine the teams of lawyers uh, that have to work on this stuff for, you know, a company like Alphabet to try to keep all of the straight and to keep, uh, to try to keep, uh, you know, them in compliance with the laws around uh, uh, governing different countries. 
Doesn't Mexico surprise you? I mean, that it does. Yeah, because a lot of times, uh, you know, Canada, U.S., and Mexico are all pretty much lumped together with the same uh, same services. It it, it kind of makes sense when you hear some of these, whether it's because of either civil unrest or the overall economic situation. Um, interestingly, about India, users in India can make calls to all countries except some locations within India. So there are restrictions there. So because um, that is an interesting one, obviously, is, you know, the you talk about expanding out into the, you know, the emerging world and the world that is kind of starting on the communication path, you know, specifically in using mobile devices and not ever really having landline based stuff. Um, it's all about mobile and it's all about, you know, using these types of services. So it's very, some of these are very interesting, these countries that are there and a lot more than I thought would be there. So, uh, yeah, Tim would love to hear your, your findings on this, especially as you start to, uh, figure out how you're going to do this. It would be nice for you to be able to keep that number. Uh, certainly, and that, that's where Google really comes in handy, being able to do that, uh, port it out and use it with Google Voice and or not use it if, if it doesn't work. But either way, you've got that option to at least save the number so you can come back to it when you return here to the States. Well, if you have any questions or co- uh, comments for us, we'd love to hear from you. You can send us email to questions at the cell phone junkie.com or give us a call 650-999-0524. Again, 650-999-0524. Two, four, and we'll get whatever you have to say on a future show. Joey, thank you very much, as always, for your time. We'll talk to you later. Thanks for listening. For more information about the stories you've just heard, visit us at thecellphonejunkie.com. <laughs>